rules relating to red diesel are changing. Will you be affected? So where we've been allowed to use it off-road for, for almost any use, that is all going to change. All you need to know coming up this morning, Sean Sparling talks food security in light of the world situation as well as agronomy, and we look ahead to a transition roadshow at Rice Home College next week. The focus of these events will be providing clear information and case studies of what they could be earning on their land this year. Big changes ahead and everyone needs to be thinking about the impact that that is going to have on their business. And we'll hear from a school farm garden near Boston. Oliver and Kit have the market reports and we'll see what the weather holds in store for us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. Red diesel rules are changing at the start of next month. Will they affect you? Well, most likely in some way, but how? Jill Hewitt, Chief Exec of the National Association of Agricultural Contractors, What's changing? Agriculture will keep red diesel, but a lot of other industries, particularly construction, will lose the use of red diesel. So where we've been allowed to use it off-road for almost any use, that is all going to change. From the 1st of April, you've got to have an exempted vehicle and an exempted use. So agriculture, horticulture, fisheries and um, forestry will be able to continue to use red so farmers doing their normal thing with a tractor, a combine, etc., doing farm-related work, they'll be okay. The biggest difference is probably for ag contractors or farmers who may do some ag and non-ag work. Things like building an agricultural shed would be considered construction. So that would be a white diesel job. Whatever the the ag contractor or farmer is doing it's got to be for agricultural benefit the sort of understanding is you need to have some agricultural knowledge to be able to do that you know to be a sort of specialist in agriculture now this all sounds remarkably complicated i can imagine a farmer wanting to shift some building material around to build his new barn does this mean he's got to then drain his tank of red diesel and only use white diesel linked to contractors I'd say where I think it will hit harder they can use red for the ag work but if they want to use a non-ag job what they'll have to do yeah is drain their tank and flush it out and then put white in but they also need to keep good records of whatever they're doing I think then the problem potentially might come is you're still using an agriculturally taxed tractor so if you're tractor is taxed as agricultural really it should only be used solely for agricultural use the cynic in me wonders whether it's ever actually going to happen and whether anybody's going to police this. Does this mean somebody's going to come round to a farm and watch what the, the farmer's actually doing with the tractor? I think enforcement is likely to be focused at least at the beginning on the construction industry because they're having a big change. But I think what this is doing is drawing everybody's attention to what people can and can't legally do on red diesel. And a lot of that for agriculture isn't changing. What about the situation, Jill, for example, with Christmas charity tractor runs? Well, tractor runs have never been legal on red diesel, but I think HMRC have perhaps chosen to overlook that. So that, again, is not going to change from the 1st of April. What we are expecting to change is that agricultural shows are expected to be able to use red, just specific examples, which HMRC are going to release more information on shortly. 
which will mean that ploughing matches potentially will be able to also use red, which is a bit of a change from where we are now. Something that isn't okay, though, that HMR seeing is equine work, because that's seen as leisure, not agricultural. Where could we go for more information on this, Jill? The National Association of Agricultural Contractors has information on their website. We're regularly updating that and we're expecting soon on the HMRC's website there will be some updated information on there and we'll try and link that from our website as well. All right. Your website address is? naac.co.uk. All right, Jill. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I visited the Low Carbon Agriculture Show at Stoneley last week. Lots of interesting presentations and exhibitors, some of which we'll hear from on next week's programme. And I met with the show director, David Jacobmeyer, and asked him, what's the show all about? So we look at providing information for farmers to position their business going forward and guidance on how to use the resources that they have at their disposal. Globally, I don't think I've ever seen as much emphasis on this subject, rightfully so. And it's not just about the environmental concerns, of course, it's about the opportunities that the transition into a different place from an agricultural point of view provides to farmers, whether that be carbon farming, whether that be renewable energy generation, whether that being a key balancer for the grid and maintaining our energy security, something which is of course even more important given the horrendous developments in Eastern Europe. Do you think the show is aiming or is capturing people who are already there in terms of low carbon, in terms of the the future? Or is it people who are thinking a little bit sceptical, let's go and find out what it's about? I would say a bit of both. So some of our audience that come here are farmers and landowners that have been with us on this journey, to use that expression, um, since we first launched in 2010. So a number are already generating renewable energy. They're looking at the next stages. So for example, could they become involved in the EV charging network? There has to be a huge development on that to support the number of electric cars that we're meant to have on the roads inside the next 10 years. Um, Others are coming to the show because they're very new to this. They know that there needs to be a change and they know that farmers are going to need to change the ways that they do things in order to improve environmental performance and make their business more sustainable. Uh, so many different pieces of the puzzle, um, which leads back to what you were asking me in terms of the, uh, the type of audience that we have here, whether they're just starting out, whether simply they want to understand more as to which direction policy is going so that they can present their business. That's the kind of information and practical guidance we offer from the Low Carbon Agriculture Show. Is there any post-show information available online? Yes, there will be plenty of information about the show on lowcarbonagricultureshow.co.uk. Um, There's more information available also on uh, Energy Now, um, because Energy Now is the founding partner of the show, so energy-now.co.uk. David, thank you. Thank you for coming. Good to see you. More from the Low Carbon Agriculture Show on next week's farming programme. Now, though, it's time for some important agronomy advice and a critical food safety message from Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. We certainly find ourselves in worrying times, don't we? Yes, a very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, an awful lot of things to be quite concerned about, I think, at the moment. And we should all be getting more concerned than we are, particularly in agriculture. You look at the changes to the diesel rules that you've just uh, talked about. We're looking at fertiliser prices increasing almost logarithmically, almost up into four figures. They're certainly getting up there for nitrogen, phosphate, potash, availability of fuel, fertiliser, plant protection products, all in a bit of a mess. And we can see a huge looming issue over both fuel and food security with what 
what's going on out in Ukraine, who are, as we know, fighting for their very existence. And who thought we'd be saying that a month ago? So food security should therefore, I think, be utmost in all of our minds consumers and producers alike, not just domestically, but also and equally importantly for the sake of our neighbours and our friends. Ukraine may well need our help from a food supply angle. Other countries who rely upon Ukrainian and Russian wheat imports, they're going to need any nation who has land capable of producing high yields of food to maximise their output to offset the shortages in their countries. I heard the other day that Ireland's farmers, by the way, have been asked to increase cereal production by around 30% because they import so much from Eastern Europe where that situation is now so fragile. When our government, as DEFRA, were asked that same question, if we need to do the same, they said no, because we produce plenty and we don't rely on imports. I believe they're wrong. I think we should be increasing output. Because if you look at our situation with ammonium nitrate being now traded well over £900 a tonne, if you can actually get it, and with £1,000 a tonne imminent expected applied nitrogen on farm growers are starting to think about reducing it just to consider lowering their yields in order to stay in business and keep some nitrogen for next year in case there isn't any yes i know the price of wheat is high for now and that's really good for arable farmers but what about the livestock farmers who now at these prices can't afford to buy their feed and who are already in a mess because of the problems we have with abattoirs and the rest of the livestock industry what if there is no nitrogen available to us last year if we can't get hold of it? We've got CF fertilisers. They've shut down UK production from what I can make out. They're now quoting a $520 million loss on last year. We've got Yara going on social media. Are they calling time? They're talking about the fact there won't be enough fertiliser to grow crops. We're going to have to look at 50% yield losses over the next coming years. If they're not talking about calling time, they need to clarify their position and reassure UK agriculture that they can produce the nitrogen to grow the crop. We import nitrogen, of course, from Lithuania and Poland and other countries in the eastern of Europe. But with gas supplies all over the place being restricted, banned, cut off, and the cost of it being almost restrictive, actually producing the fertiliser itself, producing that nitrogen fertiliser in factories, is becoming so expensive at over £5 a therm, it's going to cost over thousand pound a ton just to manufacture the stuff so you do wonder if these fertilizer plants that are now shut are shut for good most of the rest of our uk fertilizer phosphate and potash apart from a little bit we get from the north of the country is now imported but that's not going to come from russia anymore so where are we going to get it from UK government and crop protection strategies need to be aligned and they need to be aligned quickly. We need some very joined up thinking and we need support for agriculture to make sure that we can not only feed ourselves, but we need to be able to produce enough to help feed others. The picture, as far as I can see it, is not a particularly rosy one. And managing carbon, we all know, is absolutely crucial to climate change and global warming. But so is feeding the people on the ground. When food production is so badly and so imminently being compromised. I know that's going to stir some comment, but we do all need to wake up and smell the coffee. Consumers and farmers alike, this is happening now. The next 18 months could look very, very different with food shortages, a loaf of bread, maybe three or four quid. 
it's that which is when people will stand up and realise what's happened. It's only going to get worse as well unless we begin to address it and put food production on a much higher priority footing and to get a plan in place. This isn't about regenerative agriculture versus organic versus conventional. This is about food security and having enough to eat and enough farmers to grow it. And we don't want farmers to go out of business because of this. Not just in the UK, but around the rest of the world too. And it's arable livestock and it is all connected. So let's move on to agronomy. Seems rather trivial now, but here we go. It'll be short and sweet. All seed rate. If you have some clopyrrolid still to put on, I suggest you crack on with that. The soil temperatures are increasing. The all seed rape is off at a hell of a lick. So if you uh, get the buds rising above the canopy, you're too late for clopyrrolid. So get on with that. Bit of light leaf spot as well appearing now too, as things start to warm up, it's starting to move. So you need a fungicide with light leaf spot activity. Prothiaconazole all very good against that, of course. So that'll only protect you for three weeks at best so it may be prudent check your fields make sure it's not moving it can be quite a destructive disease cabbage stem flea beetle levels as well quite worrying in some fields but there's nothing we can do about it now so assess those fields and those patches as you go winter wheat winter barley they're moving now slowly at the moment but it's soon going to increase when you get days like thursday of over 18 degrees and the soil temperatures have gone up from five to well over eight they're going to move quickly it's all about temperature now so cut open these plants and check the growth stages teat zero imminent i think now talk to your advisor as well on growth regulator strategies and what you're trying to achieve because the growth stage has to be right for you to get that right grain aphid as well finding those up on lincoln heath along with rose grain aphid in some emerged spring barley so i'm watching that spring beans going in as the land dries out and do remember check the thousand seed weight and the germination of your beans to make sure you've got the right seed rate i had a chap the other day who was going to drill the same as last year 278 kilos per hectare because last year it was 535 gram thousand seed weight and a 95% germination. This year's have come back 705 gram thousand seed weight and a germination of 86, so he needs closer to 400 kilograms. I'm going to wrap it up there. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Huge thanks as ever. Sean, goodness knows what the next seven days will bring. The transition from BPS to Elms is well underway, but how many of us fully understand the changes, their ramifications and what you can do about it? The CLA has organised a roadshow at Rice Home College in Lincoln next week and to tell us all about it, Eastern Regional Director for the CLA, Kath Crowther. Kath, what's on the agenda? I think farmers are desperate for clear information of what is going to be available, not just the theory of what's going to be available in the future, but what is available to them now. And so the focus of these events will be providing clear information and case studies of what they could be earning on their land this year. Big changes ahead and everyone needs to be thinking about the impact that that is going to have on their business. I mean, we've known this has been coming for some time, but it seems to be the lack of detail that's frustrating most people. Exactly. And so these events plan to go beyond just giving the latest information from DEFRA, but will give what different types of farm might have been looking at generating under BPS historically and what they could generate now. So what FFI 2022 might mean for them, but also what they could generate from countryside stewardship and other income streams as well. We're also going to be um, to have other advisors there. So there'll be CLA policy advisors, but we're also going to have RPA, DEFRA, HDB, Forestry Commission, um, Farming and Protected Landscape Officers, 
that's particularly important, I think, in Lincolnshire. And so they can access funding through the Farnham Protected Landscapes grants as well. So whilst we will be providing some presentations at the beginning of the session, there will also then be an opportunity for anyone attending. Then they can talk to advisors about their specific examples and ask questions of those representatives there on the day. Anybody can attend this, don't have to be a CLA member. No, do go onto the CLA website you can see details on the events page. Um, we've got other events around the country, but we have one at Rise Home, Wednesday the 16th of March, 5 o'clock until 7 o'clock. And does somebody who wants to attend have to book or do they just turn up? No, please do book. So go onto the website and follow the instructions there. And is there information available on the website for somebody who perhaps can't get to one of the road shows? We do have a range of guidance notes and information about the transition. That's all on the Agricultural Transition Hub, and there's lots more information, including quite a useful timeline, which shows how some of the schemes, for instance, BPS, are being phased out, and then how other new schemes are being phased in. With 18 or 19 different schemes at the moment, that's quite a useful aid to see when each of those will be applicable. Excellent. Anything that simplifies it's got to be good. Kath Crowther from the CLA, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Recently, education has featured quite a bit on the programme with tractors into schools and the school's challenge. It's hugely important that the next generation knows where its food comes from and how important farming is. Willoughby Foods is a diversified farm. and For the last 15 years, they've been supplying around 2,000 hot meals a day to primary schools in South Lincolnshire from their base near Boston. And along with the local food, they help educate the children they feed with tractor visits, cooking workshops and now a school garden. Stuart Ashton, Director of Willoughby Foods, good morning. What and where is the school garden? There's a little two-acre strip of land between a drain and an A52 opposite the farm that has been in permanent grass for some time and it was coming to the end of its natural silaging life. It's an awkward shape, so I was scratching my head wondering what we could do with it. And um, it is a very prominent position and I've been wanting to try and re-engage with children and the general population about food that we produce as a farming nation and in particular what we can produce in South Lincolnshire. You're going to be getting children, aren't you, to grow stuff on the uh, school garden? Yeah, so we've already donated some seeds, which we've delivered to local schools already, together with egg boxes. We'd like them to grow the seeds in the egg box. Uh, They will then either return the seeds to us for us to plant into the plots, or they can come along themselves and plant them themselves. So at the moment, there are several thousand seeds out there uh, in local primary schools and we, we await with bated breath how they get on. I was asked the question, what happens if they don't grow? And I've kind of said, well, that's a bit tough. <laughs> that's just the nature of it. So there aren't any substitute seeds. If the seeds don't grow, the seeds don't grow. Yeah, well, there's a lesson to be learned just from that, isn't there? And you were involved in Tractors Into Schools too. We do that all year round, actually. And obviously, when the NFU start to promote that, we are, we're keen to join in. Uh, but we're a year-round provider of uh, visits to schools. We do workshops within schools where we're preparing food for the children in in the classroom. At the moment, we're on smoothie workshops, which seem very popular. And we are just about to restart our farm visits, which for for obvious reasons the last couple of years have been put on hold. Uh, So we're getting the farm ready and uh, the facilities here ready to welcome children back to the farm. All right. Stuart Ashton, Director of Willoughby Foods, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much.
You can find out more about the school garden at willoughby-foods.co.uk and on Twitter at Willoughby Foods. To the markets now, starting at Lyle Livestock Market with auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth on Monday, the 7th of March 2022. Starting with the prime cattle, which sees steers top at 244 pence per kilo for GL and M car of Skidbrook, while they gross £1,530 for GS Paul of Burley Marsh. Prime heifers topped at 258 pence per kilo and gross £1,449 for JS Brooks of Strubby. Moving on to the OTMs and cool cows, which see OTM heifers sell to 174 pence per kilo and gross £1,075 for Giles Everard of Skegness, while the cool cows top at 160 pence per kilo and gross £917 for A.W. Lewis and son of Grainthorpe. This week was store cattle week, which saw a top in the store steers for A.W. Lewis and son of Grainthorpe at £1,140, while the heifers top for G. Rusnan Partners of Hatton at £1,090, while Bormba Park Farms top the store bulls at £865. That wraps the cattle up and moving on to the sheep. Slightly smaller show of hogs this week, however a very similar trade to the previous week, with fit, not fat, continental hogs remaining the easiest to place. Everything included in the averages this week, including the very top end and the very bottom end to leave an SQQ of 245.9 pence per kilo. A top in the pounds per head section came for RTH Haxby and Son of West Ravendale at £125.50, while the pence per kilo section was topped by GB Housem of Stickford at 278 pence per kilo. Moving on to the cool use and an increased show forward after last week's roaring trade and another strong trade from start to finish for all goods on offer. So the cool use average £120.43 with a top this week for G Smithson at £187 while cool rams sell to a top for P Steel at £148. Finally store hogs and a mixed show on offer and a very good trade for the time of year with longer keep hogs from RG Stones and Sons of Theddlethorpe topping at £89 to leave an all-in average of £55.78. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. A quick reminder that as from 12 o'clock today, our online timed collective auction of farm machinery live on auctionmarts.com begins to finish, so why not head over to check out what we've got. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. That's Oliver Chapman from Louth Livestock Market, and now the grain markets with Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Prices rocketed to lifetime highs as the trade digested the implications of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. The seed brought old crop wheat contracts were locked up at limit highs as shorts scrambled to get out of their position. Physical and futures markets became dislocated as the market struggled to ascertain a fair value. Consumers who had already been existing hand-to-mouth were paralysed by the prices increasing whilst producers stood back fearing a repeat of last season when they sold too much too early. The question now is how high is high? We are in the unfortunate and unprecedented times and, as an example of how far the market has come, Algeria this week paid $485, which is $140 than it did on the 17th of February. It was thought to be predominantly French wheat, which had been executed from recent tenders following Algeria's political spat with France. Other international tenders were launched and subsequently cancelled due to not only the price, but also lack of offers. Looking at barley this week, new crop values have moved up with the increasing wheat market and are now more attractive than ever, although there are still large discounts to the theoretical old crop market. 
UK plantings have moved ahead in the past week, particularly in East Anglia and western parts of the country. With longer hours of daylight and drying winds, growers must make the most of this time. In many cases, the first sales are now being made at unexpectedly high values. The whole grain market remains very volatile and is subject to a sudden change because of the Russian-Ukrainian war. So locking in potential high margins on a proportion of your crop should be considered. Oilseed rate this month? The USDA report is still being digested by the trade. However, it was immediately noted that the US stocks have not reduced as much as private estimates have thought. It will take time for the full report to be absorbed, but that said, the Russian-Ukrainian conflict is currently much more relevant to the global commodity prices as the report becomes less relevant for now. The global food crisis sparked Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, escalated on Wednesday as Indonesia tightened curbs on palm oil exports, adding to the growing list of key producing countries seeking to keep vital food supplies within their borders. The conflict in the Ukraine is threatening global grain production, the supply of edible oils and fertiliser exports, sending basic commodity prices rocketing and mirroring the crisis in the energy markets. Palm oil is the world's most widely used vegetable oil and is used in the manufacture of many products including biscuits, margarine, laundry detergents and chocolate and we could all see these prices rise. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for March 278 to 283, May 290 to 300 and forward prices for new crop are currently still withdrawn. Milling wheat premiums are circa 35 to 40 pounds. Feed barley for March 263 to 269, May 265 to 270. Oilseed rape for March 675 to 685 and for May rising rapidly 720 to 730 pounds. Thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. After a bit of rain around today, it's a mostly sunny, dry and calm week. Light south to southwesterly winds to start the week. Plenty of sunshine and daytime highs of 11 or 12, down to around 4 Celsius overnight. The pressure rises in the second half of the week, the wind turning more easterly but still light. Turning cooler, daytime temperatures back into single figures by the end of the week. Not much frost expected and staying dry for the most part. Next week we'll hear about fertiliser made from old batteries and we'll catch up with some of the exhibitors at the Low Carbon Agriculture Show. I'm Steve Orchard, until then have a good week.